Hey everyone, um, welcome to our last message on our study of the book of Romans. And I know what you're thinking, oh Justin, I thought we've got like five or six chapters left. Yes, we do. So we're going to do a flyover of a couple of those chapters and I'll explain those in just a moment. But then I want to dig into some really important, hard-hitting issues. So um, today we're going to do a bit of heavy lifting. Uh, we're going to get into a spiritual gym today. We're going to actually do some weights and get stronger in our faith, stronger in our lifestyle, stronger in our following of Jesus, uh, because the kingdom needs more strong Christians, not more weak Christians. And today's message is going to help you get stronger if you want it to. So... In saying all that, um, chapters 9, 10, and 11, I'm not going to dig deep into these today, um, primarily because uh, this is where uh, Paul covers um, Israel as God's elect people and God's plan for them and God's future for them. Uh, it's very historical, very theological. Um, and, and so in that respect, uh, you know, I'm wanting to get more practical teaching out of the book of Romans. So we're just going to fly over that uh, for the time being. And then we're going to... St- Jump to then 15 at the end of chapter 15 into chapter 16. Um, Paul talks about how he's going to finally get to travel to see the church in Rome, and he also gives a bunch of personal greetings to uh, the church in Rome as well. And, and so, um, so as I said, we're not going to dive uh, too deep into that. But for those of you who want to roll up your sleeves, dig a little bit deeper, I would recommend this book, um, Encountering the Book of Romans by Douglas Moo. Uh, He is an incredible theologian, an incredible mind, um, very accessible. It's not too heady, but if you want to really dive into uh, the historical context, what what it means, all that sort of stuff, that's a great book uh, that will really help you um, in understanding Romans. So today, I'm going to primarily focus on chapters 12, 13, 14, and a little bit of 15, um, and we're going to see how we go. So this passage of Scripture, these three and a bit chapters, um, I would personally say, in my opinion, um, are pretty much the handbook for Christian living. And as I said last week, these last two weeks in Romans are really going to challenge us in our lifestyle. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 8 and and what we think about and how important it is to think about what we think about. And so we're going to take things a little bit further and see what Paul would say about how we ought to live our life. And so, as I said, this is like the Christian handbook for living. So I'm going to start with one question. Um, What is worship? Worship um, has many definitions and interpretations, Um, especially in our context, worship is synonymous with singing and and, and, and corporate gatherings together and and having these moments where we we encounter the presence of God. And absolutely that that is worship. But but is worship just a song? Um, Others would say worship is a a condition of the heart. It's it's the outworking of our faith. And and there's so many different interpretations of worship. But probably the clearest and most accurate definition of worship that I've come across is directly from Scripture. And we find that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, Offer your whole self, offer your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. So worship is about us offering and giving our whole self um, to God um, and living 
as a, as a living sacrifice that is holy. So living right, making right decisions, having right behavior, uh, behaviors in our life, um, and pleasing. Well, how do we please God? By faith. So it's about thinking right, believing the right things. So it's living the right way, believing the right things. Those two things are how we live as living sacrifices, offering our whole self up to God. So what does that look like? Well, last week we looked at what it looks like to think right, getting our thinking patterns correct. This week, um, over the next few chapters, we're going to look at, um, as I said, the, the handbook for Christian living. So what does it look like to actually live a holy life, live a right life, live the life of worship to God? So we're just going to jump through um, some key verses. And, and look, this is not for the faint of heart. Um, there's going to be a bunch of things in here that are going to challenge you. They're going to really um, uh, hit you in the heart. And and same for me too. Like there's a few things here that really, because I don't live the perfect life and there's certain areas that I need to sort of jerk the slack out of. And here we have the standard and the template of how to do that. Um, so so my, my encouragement is just if the shoe fits, wear it, um, walk in it, uh, I would far more preferred that we would be responsive to what Jesus would have for us than just responsive to what our flesh is telling us we should have and what we want. So let's just allow our heart to be open, our mind to be open to correction if correction needs to be in place or affirmation um, and confirmation if we are doing things well. So here we go. How do we, um, what does it mean to offer my life, my whole self as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Saddle up, put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Verse 3. Be humble. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's how we worship God, through humility. Um, but think of ourselves with sober judgment. In other words, don't get drunk on your own ego. Don't drink your own Kool-Aid. Don't believe your own press. Be humble. Consider yourself with sober judgment. Uh, 12 verse 4 to 5. Um, we need to be unified, not uniformed. And there's a difference. So Paul is calling the church to unity. Now, if you, if you go right back to, to the whole context of the book of Romans about how it was a, a complete um, conglomeration of um, you know, converted Jews, converted Romans, uh, it was a mishmash of um, new culture, old culture, tradition that was really put into this um, pot, blending pot of the church. Uh, and so Paul is saying, hey, you know what, it's not about uniformity. It's not about uh, doing the same thing, thinking the same thing, speaking the same way, um, having the same language, this, whatever. It's about unity, not uniformity. So it's about, about us having the same spirit, the same heartbeat, the same affection for Jesus, being on mission together. And the way that looks uh, might be different to you and different to me and different to everybody around us, but we're choosing to be unified. We're not chasing uniformity. And there's a big difference. Verse 6 to 8. Um, Use your God-given gifts. Whatever God has given you, Paul says, use it diligently. Don't take the gifts you have and just pop them on the shelf. God's given you gifts, God's given me gifts, and he's called us to use the gifts diligently. Be diligent, be faithful with what God has given you. Um, people often ask me what, um, what my thoughts on the whole prosperity gospel is and um, does God want to just bless your life and give you heaps and all this sort of stuff and um, and my short answer is this it's like I'm not against prosperity um, 
all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, um, we can see God's hand of favor and blessing and prosperity on people. And so God actually has an abundance that he wants to pour into his children. We are heirs of the throne of heaven. And so, so there is this abundance that God would have for us. But, but here's where I think it goes wrong. And this is what I would say, this, which really helps keep our spirits and our lives on track. And, and it's simply this. Are we using our kingdom to build his kingdom or... Are we using his kingdom to build our kingdom? And I think it's really important that we, we get that, that right. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, well, are we using the gifts that God has given us, the life we have, the resources we have, the abilities we have um, to diligently build God's kingdom? Or are we just taking the principles that God's put in place, the truths of God's word, the truths of his kingdom and how it operates so that we can build our kingdom? And, and I think that's where a lot of people can go wrong is when they just simply use God for their gain rather than use what they've been given to advance the kingdom. Um, and I think this is what Paul is saying here is whatever God has gifted you with, with whatever it is, if it's prophecy, prophesy. If it's hospitality, be hospitable. If it's generosity, be generous. If it's prayer, pray. If it's prophecy, all, all those things. Um, use the gifts God has given you. Um, and then... Verse 9 to 21, we get a whole suite of real practical stuff. Um, as I said, it's the handbook for Christian living. So Paul says this, Our love must be sincere and genuine. And for more information about how love is sincere and genuine, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It really clarifies what love looks like. Hate evil. Cling to what is good. So it's this, this sense of rejecting things that are bad, rejecting evil things, and hold tightly, cling to. I think when I think of cling, I think of like a baby koala that's just like locked into its mum's back, and it's just clinging, and mum's jumping up around the trees. And it's like that mother koala is good things. It's, it's beautiful things. It's wonderful things. And God's saying, just cling on to those things. Um, and so that's what we ought to do. Um, Paul says, be enthusiastic and full of zeal. Pretty cool. So have a personality. Be upbeat. Be be optimistic. Be enthusiastic. Be passionate, especially about the things of God, especially about the kingdom of God. Be full of zeal. Be be enthusiastic. Be joyful in hope. When we get a revelation of the hope we have in Christ, man, a true revelation of that should the only possible response should be joy. Uh, and, and Jesus says that, that my joy might be in you and your joy might be filled. And if that's the hope we have, let's receive that and live a life of joy. Be patient in affliction. There's a word for this season. Right now we are in a season of affliction, of isolation, of opposition, of hardship, of uncertainty and confusion. But Paul's saying, hey, be patient. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, it's one of the evidences that God has regenerated the, the heart of man and made them brand new. So just continue in that patience, even when you're going through affliction. And the next one is helpful for that, and that is be faithful in prayer. Let's just not pray in times of crisis. Let's just not wait for the whole, our whole world to fall down before we finally fall to our knees. Um, but let's be faithful and consistent in prayer and in our connection with God. Be generous and hospitable. So be outward focused. Give to people and draw people in. Be generous with what you have and, and to the poor, to the needy, to those around you and, and draw people in by being hospitable. Welcome them into your world, into your home. Um, bless those who persecute you. And then he reinforces it. Bless and do not curse. 
People are going to offend you. People are going to upset you. Our response should not be just to fight fire with fire, but we'll read about it a little bit later, is to overcome evil with good. And so we need to bless those who persecute us and, and, and not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't be a wet blanket when something goes well for somebody else. Um, you know, we need to get excited at somebody else's blessing. Don't be jealous by somebody else's success. You know, we need to have the maturity to go, even though our life might not be perfect, because God is perfect, I can still celebrate with my brother or my sister who's having success. And so I'm going to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I'm not going to make it all about me because I might not have enough, because that moment of rejoicing is about that person. So all glory to God for his blessing upon that person's life. And over here, I'll continue to have faith for my blessing and my success. But in this moment, man, I'm going to rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm not going to make it about me or be jealous or insecure or anything like that. Um, the next one is, is similar. It's mourn with those who mourn. Um, when people are going through hard times, be there for them. Feel, be empathetic. Mourn with those who mourn. We need to get rid of this suck it up buttercup mentality. No, no, no. Sometimes people just need us to be there with them. They just need us to cry with them. Um, it's good enough if we can celebrate on the top of the mountain, well, then we also need to cry with them in the midst of the valley. And so that's what Paul is saying. And ultimately, it's about relationship. Um, live in harmony. Get along with people. Don't be proud. Don't be a snob. Not my words. This is Paul. This is Romans 12. You read it for yourself. Um, don't repay evil with evil. Um, Gandhi is once famously quoted as saying, um, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And that basically is, is similar to what Paul is saying here, is don't repay evil for evil. Um, do what is right in the eyes of everybody. So live an upright life. Live a life of integrity. Make sure that no matter who's looking at your life from whatever angle, they can see the goodness and wholesomeness of God because you are choosing to live your life in a way that is right for everyone to see. And especially I think of people in business. It's like if you lead a business, lead it with integrity um, so that you're not cutting corners, you're not you know, doing dodgy deals over here because everyone who sees how we live our life should be able to say they're upright. They're doing things with integrity. They're doing things in accordance to the faith and the life they declare with their mouth that they live. And I can see that as evidence in their behaviors. Um, live at peace with everyone. Um, do all you can for this to be achieved. Uh, as, long as, uh, as much as you have power to do so, live peaceably with everybody. Be the peacemaker. And Jesus says, blessed is the peacemaker, right? In the Beatitudes. Um, don't take revenge. That can be hard. We want to just punch someone in the throat when they hurt us. But God's saying, don't, don't take revenge. Leave space for my vengeance to uh, act on your behalf, God would say. So that gives us a bit of assurance that, you know, dad's behind us. Even though someone's going to hurt us or someone does something wrong to us, he's got our back. It's okay. I can forgive. I'm not going to repay evil with evil. I'm going to, I'm going to put that fire out with water. And if there's any judgment to come, God's going to take care of that for me. Um, instead, he would say, feed and clothe your enemy. And in doing so, uh, you heap burning coals on their head. I, I remember when I was um, in year five and um, I was a bit lippy, a bit mouthy as a young kid. And I, I said something to a boy who, which was highly offensive and rude. And so um, he come back and just started smacking me and punching. It was all, it was like a three second fight, but it felt like four hours. And, and we had this fight and, um, and he beat me, like he beat me. 
And it got me thinking, you know what, if I had just got this right hook in, if I had got this uppercut, if I just had kicked him, then I, I could have won. And it's like, but imagine, imagine if I just heaped burning coals over his head. No matter how hard he hit, no matter what he could do, I would win that fight 10 times out of 10. Burning coals poured over somebody's head will, will, will beat a flying fist 10 times out of 10. And that's what Paul is saying. It's like um, when, when, when we are kind, when we are generous, when we act in the opposite spirit to those who are against us, when we bless and we don't curse, we're actually pouring coals. We're, we're finalizing and, and finishing that fight and that disconnect with people. Uh, and that's what happens with, with kindness. Uh, and then it reinforces, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil by doing good. There's that same thought. Um, jumping into... Chapter 13, now I've got to get a on because I think I'm getting bogged down, but please go home and, and do your own study of this. Expand on this. Um, meditate on these scriptures, chapters 12, 13, 14, and the first half of 15, and, and do a spiritual stock take. Where, where do you fit in these things? How, how are you living according to these uh, basic standards of Christian living for your life? 13 verse 1, submit to the governing authorities. And... Yes, even if they're not Christian. Um, so many Christians are hell-bent on just making sure that a fellow Christian gets into a position of power politics. Well, that's, that's an ideal utopia. That's not going to always happen. But even if it doesn't happen, Scripture says still submit to the governing authorities, regardless if, if they believe what you believe, regardless if they have the same ethics as you have. God's kingdom is higher, and His kingdom set the standard for the kingdom of this world. And he says, I've put everybody into a power position and a power of authority. Your job is simply to, to submit to that as the order of this world. And, um, and, and Jesus affirms this when he says, hey, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, just get with the program because it's all about unity, right? 13 verse 6, pay your taxes. So if you owe taxes, pay your taxes, Paul's saying. Do the right thing. Um, verse 7, repay your debts. So again, it's just talking about operating in the area of finances responsibly, operating in the area of uh, in economics with integrity. Pay taxes, repay your debts, uh, make sure you are living this life above reproach um, where everybody who looks at your life can see that you're living rightly. Um, 13 verse 11 to 14 says, Behave decently. Don't be like a drunkard or don't be sexually immoral. Don't be debauched. Don't live with dissension or jealousy. So dissension is like cutting people down and tearing people apart and, and making people feel less than. Uh, don't be jealous of other people, but rather clothe yourself with Jesus and stop thinking about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Powerful stuff. Chapter 14, verse 1, accept those who are weak in the faith and don't argue over disputable matters. Um, so just decide, hey, if this issue is an open-handed issue, it doesn't necessarily revolve around um, salvation alone, well then let's not argue about this sort of stuff. I, I see so many people wasting time in fruitless arguments about stuff that ultimately doesn't really matter. And Paul's saying that here too. It's like, just accept those who are weak. Accept those that might not understand as fully as you understand. And, and don't engage in, in arguments about disputable matters that aren't of that big of importance. Um, jumping all the way down to verse 11, don't treat others with contempt. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, as he says in, verse, in chapter 12. Um, and because at the end of the day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
So let's look at others through the lens of positivity. Let's look at each other, believe the best about each other, um, because the indiscrepancies that we see in other people are basically like holding a mirror up to ourselves, and it's like we're going to be judged by the same criteria as that person. So let's just get ourselves right and accept those who might not think the way we think or do things in a way that we would think they should, because at the end of the day, we all stand naked before the Lord, and He will judge us according to His standard, not according to our preference. Um, verse 13, stop judging others and be intentional about removing obstacles or stumbling blocks between you and other people. So essentially, Paul's saying, hey, when it comes to relationships, let's be about building bridges, not building walls. And I think for too long, the, the church has been about building walls. Non-Christians, Christians, the world and us. Paul's saying, no, 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 we need to remove those obstacles and we need to start building bridges into the world so that we can have relationship with people who don't think like we think, act like we act, or believe what we believe. Um, let God take care of all that. Our role is to remove all these obstacles so that we can have relationship with people. Um, verse 15 to 23, chapter 14. It doesn't matter what you eat or drink. And this is particularly important to the context of uh, first century um, Judaism, first century Roman times, where this was a big contentious issue in the church about what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. Like the church would literally divide over it. That was one of the biggest deals, at least in the church in Rome, was the converted Jews bringing their Jewish culture and the converted Romans and Gentiles saying, hey, listen, we can eat what we eat. And the converted Jews said, no, 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 we can't eat these things. This is not right. This is. And so Paul's saying, look, it really doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink. That's irrelevant. Um, but if what you do and how you conduct yourself, what you eat or drink of your behavior and your preferences offends others, then we ought to be the bigger people and show restraint so that that restraint shows a sign of honor for somebody else's convictions, thus removing obstacles relationally. So it's like if, if you're at a party and you want to have a glass of wine, and someone's there, and they're, like, they're an alcoholic, for example, a recovering alcoholic, and they're like, I don't think you should drink wine, or uh, don't have a glass of wine that night. If, if, if you honoring somebody else's convictions means you being having to sacrifice that glass of wine, do it. You can have a glass of wine tomorrow night. You can have a glass of wine next Friday night. It, it's totally fine. Um, but if, whatever we can do to remove obstacles relationally, Paul is saying, hey, do it, even at your own expense. Um, Jumping into chapter 15, here we go, on home stretch. Um, those who are strong should carry the burdens of the weak rather than just pleasing ourselves. So if you have much, we need to be distributing to those who have less. Rather than just building our own empire and building our own kingdom, we should use our kingdom to build his kingdom. And so for those of us who are strong financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, um, uh, intellectually, then we need to use our strength to help those who are not as strong. And we need to be generous and kind with what we have, because uh, Jesus says, what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. So when we use our kingdom to build his kingdom, we're doing him a direct favor. And when we do that, there's a blessing on the other side of that. Not that we do it for the blessing, but we do it out of obedience, and obedience commands a blessing. Um, Verse 2, each of us should please our neighbor for their good and build them up. 
So what does our neighbor need? What, what's specific to them? How can we build them up? How can we encourage them? How can we make them feel like a million dollars? And I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that I'm going to look after my neighbor, make them feel great, make them feel special. Again, we're moving obstacles and we're bringing in these things that are going to exalt people and champion them on and believe the best. Um, verse 5. May we have the same selfless, outward-focused attitude as Jesus. That's Paul's prayer. May we have the same selfless, outward-focused attitude of Jesus. Wow. And as I read through all these things that we've just listed almost exhaustively through the handbook of Christian living, I just see Jesus in every one of these things. Tick, 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 tick. We are seeing practically the things that Jesus did in the way he lived his life. And he ultimately, his life on this earth served as an example or a template for how you and I ought to live our life. And Paul just makes it explicitly clear here in these chapters. Uh, verse 7 of, uh, of chapter 15, accept others as Christ accepted you. Um, that we once um, were futile in our ways of thinking, the Bible would say, uh, but God who is rich in mercy has welcomed us and has accepted us into his family. And so for us, we need to um, take off our relig religious glasses where all we see is people who think like us, act like us, speak like us, do things like us, and start to, to see people all around us who, who are potential recipients of God's grace and mercy and, and accept them in. That we were once um, enemies of God, but he brought us in. And so we need to start bringing people in who aren't like us, who don't think like us, and, and create some relational equity by building these bridges so that ultimately we can be an example of Christ, that, that they can taste and see that the Lord is good because of the fruit that is on our life that we are feeding them with. Okay, and now I'm going to finish with this one verse. And this one verse was the verse that God spoke to me at the very beginning of this pandemic. And um, if you were to go through the archives of online church, you'll see that this is one of the very first verses that we ever communicated, which set the whole tone um, for the, the last three or four months, or however long it's been now. Um, and it's this, it's Romans 15, verse 13. And so this is, this is my prayer for our church, my prayer for you. Um, which I borrowed from Paul, which is his prayer. He says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. May you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are living in seemingly hopeless times, but we have a God who is filled with hope. And when we put our trust in him, his hope gets deposited in our heart. And his hope gives birth to peace. It gives birth to joy. So we can manage and get through these times of uncertainty and hardship by trusting in God because his Holy Spirit is alive and at work in us. And so we're going to remind ourselves to think about the things of the Spirit so that we can then walk in the things of the Spirit because that's what God has done for us. The God of hope has put the Holy Spirit in us, which gives birth to peace, which gives birth to joy 
in our life. So um, that is it. We are finished our entire study of the book of Romans. Um, and I hope it's been a real blessing to you. Um, I've loved studying it and teaching it. And it's been such a, a real treat. And um, again, I know this message was a bit of heavy lifting, a bit of gym work for our soul. But I think it's good for us to really do a spiritual stock take and see where are we at? How am I tracking with faith? How am I tracking with God? How am I living this life? Um, am I being a good, effective witness for Jesus on this earth? Or am I just being a weird, ideal, religious person who, who really shows no evidence of a regenerative work inside of me to a lost and hurting world? Let me pray for you before we finish. God, I thank you for uh, C3CH. I thank you for the incredible people that call this their home church. Lord, I pray for a real blessing upon every family today, wherever they're gathered, whoever they're with. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just right now just bring a sense of peace, a sense of joy, a sense of strength. And Lord, that we are not about religious ideals or religious um, obligation, but we are about receiving the free gift of salvation that has transformed us from being dead to you to alive to you. And so this life we now live, we live as a life of worship, where we uh, give you our full self, uh, Lord, in, in holiness and, uh, and faithfulness to you, Lord God. So I pray that you would just bless our church as we move forward. I thank you for our nation, our government, Lord God, that you give them wisdom in, in uh, making the right decisions for uh, us as a people group. And Lord, I pray that we'd be able to get back to regular, in-person, worship-centered services in the not-too-distant future, Lord God. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.